lively in the church house tonight because it is truly a privilege and I thank Pastor John for allowing me and asking me to uh, to preach. I spent a lot of years dodging um, when I was asked to preach it didn't take much of anything for me to uh, come up with a reason why I could not or would not and it's only recently I realized that I was correct. I could not. Only the Lord through me can do anything right. And so when asked to preach the gospel, I consider it to be a privilege to do that. Because, church, listen, the gospel is the good news. If you came here tonight to hear the bad news, you'll have to wait till you go home and turn the news on on your television. Because there is no part of this that is the bad news. The bad news is when we all like sheep had gone astray and we were helpless and we were on a path to perish. But Jesus, who loved us, He descended, He lived, He died, and He ascended, and He makes intercession for us even today. That's the good news. The good news of the gospel. I have nothing to come up here and say that is bad news because everything else is small news in comparison. So you'll have to get up early and stay up late to convince me that this is bad news in any way. I want to, uh, as I, I think about preaching, um, I want to look at some scriptures tonight um, as we as we go through this, but the, the problem I've had is that when I open my Bible to prepare a message, I see a lot of different scriptures that I've known all of my life, yet they did not have the meaning that suddenly they have lately. And so I think, well, that would be a really good sermon. That's really something, that, that's something I can apply. Those are things that I need. Yet they seem simple, or they seem like things that we are very familiar with. So let me just, I want to read one scripture, and I want us to think about this, and it's a song we read, or we sing, I'm sorry. In Psalms 86, in verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all of my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy towards me, for you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And I thought, how can I, passing through this life, on this little speck of, of time and place, how can I pray to God and say, Teach me, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. How profound that statement is. How can I say to an almighty God, Teach me. To me, I think of that and I say, if I apply that today, God, teach me. That's profound. That's not my message. It was just something I came across and I thought, of all the times that I've heard that, there are truths in this scripture that are alive. There is nothing else that you will hear, nothing you will read, that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword except the Word of God. There is nothing else. You can have the biggest stack of commentaries. You can have a lot of sermons online on your quick dial. You can come up with all kinds of different ways to look at things of Scripture. But that does not mean that that is the anointed Word of God to you. Because Scripture is the only thing that is living. The Word of God. And you know, I read in Amos, in Amos 8... And think about these things. It says in verse 1, it says, Behold, says the Lord, I am sending a famine upon the land. Not a famine of hunger or thirst, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And I used to read that and think that's when we're persecuted, when we're no longer allowed to have Bibles. But the truth of the matter is, it didn't say there wouldn't be people speaking about the Word of God. There wouldn't be sermons being preached 
wouldn't be seminaries kicking out new preachers every week and pulpits for them to fill. It said there will be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And that is where if we can grasp our need for the words of the Lord, as we go through the Scriptures, as we listen to preaching of the Word, as we think of those things and we say, I need, I hunger and thirst for the words of the Lord. Because there's never been a time in our country that there was not more sermons available. There's more books online. You can punch in any subject and get someone's opinion. You can even have here a preacher that puts things together really well. And you'll starve to death spiritually if it's not the words of the Lord. It is the words of the Lord that sustains us spiritually. It is the nourishment. And it is only from the anointing of the words of the Lord. Because you can read these words without an anointing and starve. But when God anoints it, the contrast of Amos 8 is in Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and to open the prison doors. That is what the anointing does. I was captive. I was the one that needed an anointed word. And you know what? Every one of us are. That's where we're at. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. The words of the Lord. I just want to encourage us as we, as we come in here and we listen to preaching, we listen to preaching of the word, for us to pray and say, God, make these the words of the Lord. Anoint these to me. Set me free in the ways that I'm bound. Because if we don't think we need that, we are more bound than we realize. Because we've lost sight of our need. Because there's another truth that says where two or more are gathered in His name, He'll be with us. I receive that tonight in Jesus' name. We gather in the name of Jesus tonight. I want us to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Because we talk about preaching the gospel. In 1 Corinthians it says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. And if you say, well, what does that mean to me? The power of God is your ability to change. And to have restored relationship with God. That is the message of the cross. Because without that, we cannot change anything. We pass through this life exactly the way that we were, with a sinful heart. That's how we live. And without the message of the cross, we can't change. And the message of the cross is the power of God for us to change and have this restored fellowship. And I know, folks, we have heard this many times. I know we've heard it. But... I believe we can hear it. If God so chooses to anoint it, we can apply it to our lives, and we're not the same. And that's what I'm believing for. In Romans 8, in verse 28, familiar scriptures, it says, And we know that all things work together for good that to those who love God, to those who are called, the called, according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? At the top of this Bible that I inherited, there was a statement that said, man's loftiest goal. Real small writing across the top of the page, and it had a little arrow. So I followed that arrow down, and it turned, and it went to this statement, 
in verse 29 that says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Because I believe that that little writing on the top of the page makes a good sermon title. Man's loftiest goal. Because when I think about goals, I think about as a kid, you know, you thought you wanted to be something. You wanted to be an astronaut or you wanted, you know, you had these ideas about goals in your life and the natural. I know I wanted to be a bulldozer driver. That's what I wanted to do. I don't know if it was maybe because of Jimmy. You know, I thought if I was on a dozer, I might be able to push all Jimmy and his stuff up somewhere, but I don't know what it might have been. But as a kid, I had aspirations of being a dozer driver. And, you know, those are things that everybody has a different goal in the natural. We think about it now. We even think about if we just do this and do that. Farmers are the worst because it's always next year. Always. If you just buy this equipment, or maybe next year it'll rain, and before long you have these goals out in front of you. So let me ask you, as born-again Christians, do we have any spiritual goals? Do you ever think about what you are trying to be? What you are aspiring to be? Where, where does this road lead? Because each one of us that are born again, we have a, this spiritual part of us where God gave us a new heart and a desire to love Him and to love each other and we begin to live this life. So what is it that, what is our spiritual goals? Because for me, I have to say I didn't have any. Just to stop doing certain things and maybe remove a few weaknesses in my life. And maybe at some point, well, God would be pleased with me. So is it just me or is it that churches are full of people that don't really have any spiritual goals? There's nothing that they look at in Scripture that speaks to them and says, this is where you need to be heading to. Because as I read this, and it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is speaking of a process of Christ being formed in me. Because I don't believe that when a person is born again, that automatically... Christ is formed in that person. Yes, He comes and lives in their heart. He gives them a heart to love Him and to know Him. You all remember the first time, the first time you got off of your knees as a new born-again Christian. You wanted to pray. We talked about this the other night. You wanted to read your Bible. For the first time in your life, you wanted, you wanted to make things right with people. You wanted to worship. How many young people have we seen that were born again at a camp and the next meeting their hands are raised and they're singing with gusto and they're praising God because suddenly they have something that is different in their heart. There is a change. I do not believe that we can be born again and stay the same. I don't believe that. So whenever I think back and I say, remember when I had a new heart and your heart when I talk about your heart, I'm talking about the motivation that's within you. There's something different. Now you want you love God, and you want to love each other. And that's the new heart that God gives us, everyone that is born again. And we think about now that we have a conscience, suddenly the things that we did before, well, we can't do it anymore. We feel convicted. Well, why is that? Why is it my friend here? that I grew up with, he's not convicted. It's because he doesn't have the Spirit of the Lord living in his heart. So then, as we get up off of our knees, we still have, with our new heart, the same old mind. Our mind is not suddenly new. And from our young years, we have, and I know you all know this, but listen, this is important. We have a heart that is evil that is without the Lord, that trains our mind. And as we pass through life, we have this mind that is selfish. We have this mind that is bent on doing whatever it can that it can get away with. Suddenly, we have new motivation in our heart. Suddenly, something's different. 
But the decision process is in our mind. We can make decisions before our heart catches up with us. And there's a process of renewing our mind. That is part of the Christian life. That is part of when we get up off of our knees and we begin to live. Because if we all went to heaven right when we were born again, this would be this message wouldn't be necessary. But there is something called a Christian life and a deeper life. And I want us to look at tonight Christ being formed in us. And I want to go through some scriptures. And I want us to consider ourselves as we read these and we think about what is our goal spiritually and how are we living according to these scriptures. If you turn to Galatians 2... Galatians 2 and verse 20. For all those that have been born again, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and He gave Himself for me. So we now move over, turn over to Titus 2, because I want us to see these because they are describing the life after salvation, they are good to be remembered. In Titus 2, in verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And as you read that, you realize there is a process that I need to go through. This process of Christ being formed in me. This responding to this new heart that he's given me. And folks, this takes a lot of time. That's the value of a teaching ministry that we have all been able to partake in, is that teaching, it takes time. A revelation is in a moment, but teaching takes time. And this teaching is so important because we have to be able to learn these things, to see truth in God's Word, and in turn, make the adjustments in our life by our choices and allow Christ to be formed in us. Because if we stop the message of the gospel right there, then we have a very casual relationship with the Lord, and it's the most common in our society and in our time. Because if we stop and just say we're forgiven, then that's the easiest thing we can do. Well, who doesn't want to live that way? Forgiven. But when you start talking about Christ being formed within us, then you have to say, this is going to not only take work, but it's going to be things that I'm not comfortable giving up. And that's part of our crucified life. We have been crucified with Christ. And so when we read these things, we begin to think, there is a process that I must be allowing to take place. Turn to Romans 12. And these are similar scriptures, but they apply to our everyday life. And I believe they are very important that we do not forget. Because in Romans 12, in verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So it is God's will that we begin to live in a way and allow there to be this change. And how much of this change that we will preach about, live, talk about, and apply, will decide how close of a relationship and how deep of a Christian life we'll live. Because this, to me is the very foundation of it. God's love to me so that I can in turn love Him. 
That is the foundation of every Christian's life. But whenever he begins to build on that, he has to begin to look at Christ being formed in me. Because what I have failed to see all these years is that you cannot and I cannot do anything that is worthwhile, that is right, that is righteous, apart from Christ being formed within me. I cannot. No matter how much effort, no matter how many programs, no matter how many mission trips, no matter how many sermons, no matter how many figuring of everything you could imagine, if Christ is not being formed within us, we have no righteousness. We have nothing. Because whenever I look at uh, how could that be, I thought, man, that seems like that it seems like something very deep and hard to understand, Christ being formed in me. Well, it is, and it's talked about. Turn to Colossians 1. Paul talked about it in Colossians 1. And if I pick it up in 25, it says, "...of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God." which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the mystery of all time. How could mankind walk through this life God love him. God give him an opportunity to be his, be God's special person and people. And then in turn, Christ be formed within him. How can that be? It is a mystery. But I believe it has to be our goal. Because in 1 John 4, in 1 John 4, hope you all brought your Bibles tonight. Because we are turning to some scriptures. First John 4, in verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Because I don't believe that we can, of ourselves, we cannot do anything that is pleasing to the Lord and is acceptable. We cannot be, we cannot do righteous deeds apart from Him inside of us living through us. We can't do that. We can't, we can't have effective ministries. We can't have hope. You can't, you can't have any hope without Christ inside of you. You can't have any peace without Him inside of us. We can't have faith unless He gives us a measure of it. And we can't love Him unless He first loves us. All of it wraps up into one truth, and that is that we, our goal is that Christ could be formed within us. Our loftiest, our most highest attainable goal in this life is that He could be formed within us. Because... In Galatians 4, I came across this uh, scripture. Y'all in here tonight? All right. Galatians 4, in verse 19, because Paul knew this. And listen to the words he said. He said, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Because he knew that apart from Christ being formed in us, we can do nothing right. It doesn't matter how many years you've sat in a church. It doesn't ha matter how many traditions we think we may have. None of it's going to matter unless we are seeking and yielding for Christ to be formed within us. I have tonight, because we are just a church family on a balmy Wednesday night, I have brought a a little visual aid to uh, show you something. I, I heard a old Baptist preacher do this one time. And I have with me a glove from the farm. Now, all you youngsters that probably wouldn't even know what one of these were, 
this is what my generation and the ones before me, we used to work. All right. Just in case you're wondering. Okay. This right here is, it's a good glove. It's made well. And it has a purpose. And it's useful. And, you know, we could even look it over and say we approve of it. So we'll set it right there. And we'll put our Bible right there. And now what do you think happens when you say, Love, go pick up that Bible and go preach. Go Go, go, do, go do the work of ministry. You need to love your brother. What are you still here for? Because, see, the glove of itself can do nothing. And isn't that how our lives are, whether we like to admit it or not? Because what if I said, glove, I know what the problem is. It's too dirty. We'll clean it up. And we clean it up. Now go. We've gotten, a, we've gotten a, some sinful things out of its life. Now go. Well, it still just sits there. It can't. So what if we say, well, we need, we need to teach. We need more teaching. So you sit there another 20 years and, and we'll teach you. But that glove is still empty. Can it do anything right? So what if I said, we just need to motivate it. What, everything's gotten dead and quiet. Let's just motivate it. Let's get everybody, mo- I'm sorry, get the glove and, and we'll motivate it. We'll get us some kind of a, a wild slobbering preacher and we'll, we'll get uh, some programs and we'll get, we're going to get some things going and, and then we'll do the work of ministry. And you know what? Use that glove away right there because it can't be useful because it's empty. That's how our lives are. That's how they are. Or what about the one that a lot of us in my generation, and maybe some of you all, what about the one you hear when you say, well, just wait. You're too young. Because my generation, the ones that are left, they were told, you're too young. Just wait. Just wait. And their hair turns gray. And their hair falls out. And then you begin to wonder, what am I waiting for? Because listen, church, this Bible would not read the way it does without God using young people all through this Scripture. If that had been correct, then God would have told so many of the characters in the Bible that he used for his glory, they were just too young and to wait. I beg to differ. I say if the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and Christ is being formed in your heart, you are capable of doing anything. I want to read a scripture to you because I feel like this is crucial that we as young people are encouraged in this way for whoever this is for because I know I receive it. And it is, it is very clear to me. And turn to uh, uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4. verse 12, and these are so familiar, but listen, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy in the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, 
For in doing so, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Listen, there is so many young people that they get off the wagon in verse 14 because they say, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy and the laying on of hands of eldership. If all it takes is the laying on of hands of eldership for you to have a gift, then we need to get eldership lined up and we need to just run this little circle until everybody's had their hands laid on them and they'll all have a gift. A gift comes from the Lord. Only God can give you a gift. It is confirmed by the prophecy and the laying on of hands. Confirmation. And people begin to see it. People recognize it. But do not let anyone despise your youth, young people. Because if we do despise the youth, not only does this Bible would have read different, the future of our church is going to read a lot different as well. Because if a young person has a gift, then by all means, use it. Because it says here, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will both save yourself and those who hear you. I don't see anything in there that says, if you take heed to yourself and to the doctrine for another 20 years, you can be useful. I see that if Christ is being formed in you, and you have a gift, then you're useful then let it, let it live through you. Don't let anybody despise it. And yes, there will be people, you will have to have some thick skin at times, but we cannot continue a tradition of saying, love, wait 20 more years. Because if we do that, the chapters of our book get smaller. Because I think there is a lot of potential, and there's young people that God has saved at a young age. Why would God save a child, six, seven, eight years old, comes in crying, truly convicted and desiring to be born again? And then it's 30 years later before they ever feel like in our own midst that they can be useful to the Lord. Young people, if God gives you a heart to serve Him and He gives you a gift, then use it. Use it. And don't allow that to be pushed aside. So if we have this glove, and we've tried everything in the world to try to get it, to take the Bible, go out and preach, go out and do the work of ministry, believe for your healing, have faith, do all these things, yet the glove sets empty, I want to ask you what would make the difference? I can tell you what it is. Because when Christ is formed in us, whenever that happens, then what happens to our life? There is nothing that we can't do because it's Him that is living through us. And it, we become something that is seemingly useful and has a purpose to now it becomes the hands and feet of the Lord. Because isn't that what our goal is? Is to yield. To yield. Because if a man yields, then he's useful. What happens if this glove was stiff as a board? Could you use it? I mean, how could you pick up anything with it? This yielding to him being conformed within us, this is the Christian life. This is what we have to remember. When we talk about goals that we have, what if our goal was just to be yielded to what He already put in our heart? We're not creating something new. We are going back to the very basics and saying, God, I thank You for saving me and giving me a new heart and for having mercy upon me through these times of my life when I have not yielded, when I have held myself at a high esteem, when I looked at myself and said, I am the cleanest, best looking, most taught, nicest, compassionate glove that there is. But you know what? It's worthless without Him living inside of us and living through us. Because when He does, then we are now useful. So to be useful and to let Him live through us as He already is in us, 
It's just not allowing it to be buried under a lot of other things. Because after all the years, all the messages, then you throw in experiences. Maybe something that didn't work. Maybe something that did. Maybe somebody died. Folks, listen. When we begin to take in experiences and opinions and our own way of rationalizing our spiritual life, then what we're doing is we're taking back control. We're taking back control of our life. And you know what? I believe that God can be formed in a man and useful. And after 30 years, he can look up and find himself right back right there. He knows what he could do. He knows what he should do. But he's getting by. He's just getting by spiritually. And if a group of people begin to just get by spiritually and they all come together in one place, and that is the common core, then we wonder, why is things seemingly, why are we miring, why are we struggling? I'll tell you why. Because we've taken back control. We are resting on the fact that yesteryear, I remember when I heard a message. I sat under a great faith message. I saw people healed. I saw all these things. Therefore, now, I believe that I have arrived at a, at a time in my life when I am useful. When I have these righteousness. But the truth is, every single day of our life, if we do not allow Christ to live through us, we become that glove right there. Every day. Every single day. Folks, this is not something, this is not just fancy preaching talk. This is what you do on a daily basis. This is getting up and thanking God that I could be His and can be forgiven. And then for the first time in my life, instead of praying, not only provide my needs, not only heal my body, not only make me useful, what if we just prayed, God, be formed in me today? Because when I begin to pray that, that's not a prayer that I've ever prayed in my life. Because I didn't see it. And if I don't see it, how in the world can I be useful to the Lord? But what if you pray, God, leaving aside all the needs that I have, be formed in me. Just be formed in me. Today. Because when I think about that, I think about I cannot think of a higher goal that we could have. So this process, as we begin to close, the process of Christ being formed in us, I want us to look quickly at six things that God has done so that Christ can be formed in our hearts and in our lives. There's six things. And I want this to be encouraging. I want it to be a goal. I want it to be a part of our everyday living because I tell you what, I'm excited about it. Because think of, the, think of how much of a release it is from, from my effort and my shortcomings and my failures all the time. Because when you look at, man, how could I do that? How could I say that? How am I always just miring? Why do I feel a little weary? Could it be that we're just not yielding to the Lord? That we're not allowing Him to be formed within us? Can it be? There's six things. First and foremost, God has given us a start. These are the things that will enable us to allow Him to be formed within us. He gave us a start. I'm going to read in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
But each one of us, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Listen, God, we live in a controlled environment. God is in control. And He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly our shortcomings. And He has made a way for this mystery to become something that we see, something that begins to grow within us. And suddenly, I tell you what it is, because it is the Spirit of the Lord, it can also begin to have an influence on those around us. It can have an influence on others in the church. It can have an influence on those that we're working with. To just let it live. Just let what you already have in your heart live. Just let it live. He gave us a start because he called us. Second thing that he has given us, he's given us an assurance. Because as we read earlier in Romans, it said, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Folks, that's straight out of the Scripture. That's you and I. That's you and I. He predestined you and I to be conformed. And everything that says that we cannot is a lie of the devil. You have to recognize we have an enemy. And he, if he can keep us from recognizing that Christ can be formed within us, then he can keep us like that glove. So we have an assurance. The third thing we have, we have God gave us instructions. He gave us instructions how? Because He gave us His Word. And in 2 Timothy, I'll read this for you. If I can find it. In 2 Timothy... Don't let these words just go right over your head, folks, because we've heard them a thousand times. Think about this. God gave us instructions so that He could be formed within us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God, you and I, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He gives us these instructions. Not only a start, but an assurance. But He gives us these instructions. And then fourthly, He gives us a guide. A guide that is with us always. You know, when Siri first came out, and they say, oh, you know, push the button and ask Siri anything. Everybody said, man, that's really something. When a person has received the baptism, when the, Spirit of, when the Holy Spirit is within a, a man's heart and in his life and is with him, how much more can we, whom the Father sees, that knows our needs, how much more can we ask? Because it said he'll guide us in truth. And if the truth is that he is being formed within us, then how much more can we ask him? He's given us a guide. Fifthly, he's given us his promises. Now, folks, I don't know if this is becoming something of the past or not. Because when I stand up here and preach, if your eyes weren't open, I don't know if you're awake. Listen, this is the good news. This is our life. If we don't have these things that we're talking about, we don't have anything. He said that we are more than conquerors. If He said it, then we are. Now, that's all there is to it. I don't care who else says it. I don't care what sells books. I don't care what gets attention. I don't care what sounds more more ear-catching to the, the assemblies. I don't care. Because He said we're more than conquerors. He said He would finish what He started. He holds us in the palm of His hand. Why is that not something that in our hearts we say, that's what I want. That's me. That's Christ being formed within me. What is it going to take for us to remember that we're born again? We're on a path to heaven. That He will never leave us or forsake us. I know that kind of talk probably is not appealing, but it's, I can't help it. It's just the truth. We are more than conquerors.
We are not, as my father said, poor welfare and strangers, drinking creek water and eating wild onions. We'll just get by another day. Do you think that that is how, why that martyrs are giving their life this week? No. They're giving their life now, joyfully, because Christ is formed within them. Because they have a heart that He gave them to love Him with all their heart. That's why. So what's the difference in a man overseas giving his life tonight and one of us in here? We worked hard. It was 90 plus degrees. We come in here. It's another Wednesday night. What's the difference? What do we do? Just not say it? Sweep it under the rug? What's the difference? Where's the life? Where is the out of our heart? Where is this living water? Because listen, if we're not living after all these years and we continue in the same old process of what we consider to be acceptable, and we wonder why that sometimes there doesn't seem to be, when we go out the doors, some effective ministry or things in our life changing. What if we're the glove? What if we've forgotten to allow Him to be formed within us? What if we have just become people that have so much head knowledge and have read so many things and could debate any kind of topic that is in the Scripture, yet we've forgotten the most basic, and that is that He came to save us and deliver us and give us life and to live in our hearts on a daily basis because that is our life. Listen, you may say that that's too simple. I'm so much deeper than that. Listen, you can get so deep that you're not useful. Because listen, it is important that we don't forget the basics, that it is Him. And what I mean by being so deep is that before long we begin to think that it's our righteousness. We begin to think that somehow we have arrived at a point where it is now us. We are the ones, we are the ones that are now useful to the Lord. We are the ones that are all these different things. But when we look at our lives, it's not the case. Because if a man is that spiritual, where's his joy? Where's his peace? Where is his commitment? Where are these things? I say this because I'm part of this family right here too. I've lived this. I lived deader and a hammer spiritually. I know what this is like. I know what it's like. But I see little glimpses of what it can be. And it doesn't have to be that way. I can tell you that. Because when people begin to realize this is daily, this is something that I can feed my thirsty soul with, words of life, and suddenly things begin to change. The presence of God being, because if he, he died and forgave us of sin to have restored fellowship, suddenly that presence is close. Y'all remember a time in your life when it was really close? That's what he designed it to be. That was God's design. And if we stray away from that, then it could be that after all these years we make a circle. Sixthly, God left us or the Lord left us His example. In John 13, 21. It's 13, 15, I'm sorry. And this is after he had washed the disciples' feet. And he was making an example of serving. He said, for, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you that do them. Because he left an example to serve. And in First Peter 2, he left an example of laying down his life. And that's something that we have the opportunity to do to each other. 
in 1 Peter 2, in verse 21, it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that, that we, having died to sin, may live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were all, for you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want to turn to one last scripture in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4. Think of these words as we, as we close and talk about, because it said, what we read earlier, it said, endeavoring to keep, in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. If you go over to 13, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to encourage you tonight to just let it live. Let Him live through you. Let what you sense in your heart, your convictions, your conscience, your love for God and love for others, let that live. Respond to it. Yield to it. Look at the instructions that he gives us. Because there is one spirit. And where there is division, it's because there's two. And if we can all come to the unity of the faith, that is all of us having the same spirit ruling in our life. And that is Christ being formed in us. That is when there is unity. Because as long as there is not unity, then there is not just one spirit because we can't all let Christ be formed within us and be on different sides of the fence. We can't do it. So I want us to be considering our goals and considering what it means to be like Jesus. Because to me, that is man's loftiest goal, is to be like Jesus. And as we think of these things, and I know it's quiet, but I want us to think about it because to me it is, it is, it is the truth that matters. It is what we need in our lives tomorrow morning. We need to recognize that we have to yield to the Lord. Because, folks, I live too long yielding in some ways, but not always. And that's how I'm still living. But I'm believing to, that there will be less and less. And that God will give me more faith and more understanding of Scripture. Because without it, I can't do anything. I'm the glove. I can't. But I don't believe He's going to leave me like that. Because there's a stirring in our hearts. And I know in talking to some of you all, there is a stirring. There is a desire. There is a thirst. There is a, a desire to be, to not just be the same old, same old. And just come to church and look up and ten years have lapsed and there is no spiritual change. 
because I believe we are to continue on, just like it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's something that continues. We don't just arrive and then settle in to a comfortable spot. It's something that we have to continue to yield. See, I used to think I had to somehow go find that. Maybe I could find it in ministry. Maybe I could find it in the mission field. Maybe I could find it by just making it known a certain conviction. Maybe I could find it by trying to gain respect of people that you consider to be deeper Christians. Maybe you could find it. Maybe you could find what what am I missing? Just stop. Call a big time out and say, wait a minute. Jesus be formed within me because I want to be like you. And you'll find it. Because that right there is the peace that we all look for. It is the hope that we all want. It is where the faith comes from. Listen, we cannot lose our hope. We cannot look around and say, man, I just think I just can't. Because it is the Almighty God that is living within us. We say, well, church seems dead. Church can't die because it's full of born-again Christians with Christ living within them. It can't. We just have to let that live. And we have to know that God loves you. See, we've mistaken God's love for man's love. Because I can promise you, man's love will fail you. A spouse's love will fail. A parent's love will fail. A best friend's love, it will fail you. But listen, God's love will never fail you. It will never fail you. And he who started the work in you, he is going to see it completed. And everything else is a lie of the enemy because God's love is not going to fail you. And as we begin to let him be formed within us, then suddenly we can rest in knowing it is not I but Christ who liveth in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. It's the Christian life. It's man's loftiest goal. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you let us come together tonight. We thank you that you've kept us all these years. We thank you for your word. God, just take us to the next phase and chapter of our life in our relationship with you. God, in your mercy, allow us all to see that we need you and that you're willing and you're more than able. I ask that you renew hope within our hearts and you give us a desire to just be more like Jesus. God, in all these things, we're thankful that we can pray to you in Jesus' name and that you hear us and that you give us the victory and you give us power over the devil and that you keep us. We thank you for it and we, we just acknowledge all good comes from you and we just ask that you be near to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for it. Amen. 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 Haven't y'all ever had a family member that got a little riled up? You don't hold it against him. Okay, good. I'm pretty done. Pretty much done. Anything else? David.
Okay. Have I got that? 